The story of Jonah is really not what you would expect. Well, for starters, it's actually a story. You know how most of the prophetic books in the Old Testament, they're full of things like oracles and, and visions and sermons and poetry and thus says the Lord kinds of stuff. Uh, but not the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is about, well, it's about Jonah. It's a narrative about the prophet. Uh, really, the only uh, prophetic oracle or, or, or sermon in the entire book is that eight-word phrase, if you're counting English words, it's five words if you're counting the Hebrew words, uh, Jonah's sermon that he preaches as he's walking through the, the city of Nineveh. Uh, Jonah was a historical figure. Uh, he, he surfaces in 2 Kings chapter 14, and what we discover is uh, he is a prophet at the same time as, as Hosea and Amos in the 8th century. He's uh, also a prophet during the time of King Jeroboam II. We've met him the last couple of weeks. Uh, one of the things that we know about Jeroboam II, what he, he was just a pretty nasty guy. He was one of Israel's worst kings and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is the interesting thing about Jonah. Jonah prophesied in his favor. Uh, he was like a, a pro-Jeroboam II uh, kind, of, kind of prophecy. Um, so let that speak for what it will. A, a lot of scholars don't have a, uh, a high view of Jonah. And, and I think once we read his book, uh, we're left with some, some question marks too. Even though he was a historical figure, uh, a, a lot of folks think that it's very possible that, that, that this book of, of Jonah, uh, don't know who wrote it, uh, is, is parable. That it really is a, a story um, that's pointing to something else. Uh, you know, Jesus did that a lot. Um, Tim Mackey, one of the co-founders of the Bible Project, um, he kind of leans into this idea that it's parable, that it's satire, that, it, that it's even comedy, and he likened it to, uh, to, to watching an episode of, of Saturday Night Live. You know, when you flip on SNL, you know, like, uh, yeah, there might be some historical stuff here, um, but, but there's, there's really a, kind of a dig. They're trying to make us laugh. And the first readers of, of this book uh, would have gotten that. It's lost on us a little bit. Uh, the book of Jonah is supposed to make fun. It's supposed to make extreme, fantastic points. Uh, I think, though, that when we peel back the layers, when we look a little bit closer, uh, the book can bring us to tears. Um, so, uh, the story in a capsule. Uh, it starts in the classic, traditional way. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, son of Amittai. And, uh, when you look at the, at the beginnings of the other prophetic books, especially the, the minor prophets or the twelve prophets, um, it starts that way. So, so right out of the gate, uh, you're thinking, all right, here we go. Uh, this is one of the prophetic books. Um, but then uh, it, it, it changes completely from there. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and the Lord says, I want you to go to that great city, Nineveh, and, and cry out against it. And we notice right away um, that, that, that Jonah does not do what we expect. He actually flees from the call of God. Uh, best I can tell, uh, he's the only prophet that does that. So he doesn't really live into his name. Uh, the, the name Jonah, 
from the Hebrew word yona means dove. And son of Amittai. Amittai means truth or faithfulness. So it's like dove of faithfulness. That's, that's the name of this prophet. And he's like uh, the least faithful of the prophets. Uh, God says, um, you know, go north into Assyria, into the city of Nineveh. Um, Jonah goes the complete opposite direction. He goes to the coast. He gets, he gets to Joppa. He gets on his ship. And the ship is, is going to Tarshish. And if you Google ancient maps in, in Tarshish, you'll, you'll see uh, what I saw. Like, he goes as far away as he can possibly go. Nineveh is this way. Uh, Tarshish is that way. In fact, they think it's um, right near the, the, the Straits of Gibraltar uh, in southern tip of, of Spain. Like, that was the end of the known world. He was going uh, as far as he could possibly go. And so he goes into the bowels of the ship, and he falls fast asleep. And you're familiar with the story. It doesn't take long to read it. Uh, it's four chapters. God sends a storm, and it's this massive storm to, to the point that all of the sailors are freaking out. Um, they're crying out to whatever God's name they can, they can call uh, so, so that they can quiet the storm. They're throwing their cargo into the sea. Uh, they discover that, that Jonah's asleep. Like, what in the world are you doing sleeping through this? Uh, it says a little bit about um, just how much uh, Jonah cares about other people and how much Jonah cares about his own life, uh, actually. Um, and so uh, he gets them to throw him into the sea. You know, that's a um, long story short. And so Jonah ends up into the sea. Uh, he ends up into the belly of a, of a sea monster. No. Uh, at the at the basement of the old parsonage, our friendship house, the Blackburn kids will talk about you know being scared of the monsters down in the basement. Well, Jonah was was in this belly of this monster, gets vomited out onto the beach, and then God's call comes a second time. Uh, go to that great city Nineveh and, and cry out against it. Uh, this time. Jonah is faithful and Jonah goes. Um, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, the, the city of Nineveh had like an oval wall that was seven, you know, seven miles in circumference. And um, so not really three days journey. Uh, it wasn't quite that big, but it says that he's one day journey into the city and he preaches, he preaches this sermon, this eight word sermon, um, which essentially is just letting them know in 40 days, God's going to destroy you. Doesn't even mention God's name, actually. Um, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Well, you look at that, and it's like not much of a sermon. But whoa, the effect of that sermon. The entire city repented. The king gets up from the throne when word comes to him. They put on sackcloth and, and sit in ashes. They even made the animals put on sackcloth. And, and, and be in ashes. Again, a little bit of the satire. Like it was such a conversion. It was such repentance. And they, they fell on, on the ground and they worshiped. Not exactly what you would expect. Kind of like you would never expect this ship full of pagan sailors that at the end of that part of the narrative, they're, they're, they're you know, falling prostrate on the deck of the ship and they're worshiping uh, the Lord God, the God of Jonah. Um, the, the faithful dove, or this dove of faithfulness. 
So the story ends with this great revelation. We get a sense of what's in Jonah's heart. And we also get a sense of what's in the heart of God. And so I wonder, I wonder why Jonah ran away from God. I wonder if he was afraid. You know, when, when we understand where God was asking Jonah to go, then it makes perfect sense that he would have been terrified. I mean, Nineveh was a, a terrifying place. We know a little bit about um, the, the kingdom or the, the growing empire of Assyria in, in that time, in the 8th century BC. Um, but they were the enemy. So God is asking Jonah to, to go into enemy territory. And, and they weren't just any kind of enemy. Uh, they were a horrible enemy. Uh, they were the stuff of nightmares. Um, the stuff that I've read about them, I mean, it, it's terrifying just to read about them. When they would take over a place, the stuff that they would do to people, uh, like, well, I, I won't describe it, but it, torture. Just imagine the, the worst kind of torture, uh, beheading and, and the displaying of, of such things. Um, so that anybody who walked by that road or ha who happened to, to be close enough to to see the spikes that were in the ground just outside the wall, um, it, would, it would strike terror uh, and, and horror. But you know, as the story unfolds and, and you read the whole book of Jonah, you discover that fear of dying in Nineveh is not at all the reason why Jonah ran from God. Uh, Jonah was not afraid of dying. In fact, in the story, uh, Three different times he essentially uh, asks to die, like telling the sailors to just throw him over the side of the ship. Uh, I've seen, you know, like National Geographic shows or movies where there's a, a small boat in this massive storm and you, you compare the, the boat to the size of the waves. I mean, that's horrifying. And the thought of being in those waves, well, that's certain death. So you know, that was maybe... One of Jonah's ways of saying, this is my way out of this. Also, in the narrative, he, he asks God twice to just let him die. Um, what we discover is the reason that Jonah is running is because he's mad. He's angry with God. In, in chapter 4, it says... Uh, O Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. He's angry at God's mercy. He's angry because he knows that God will forgive the people of Nineveh. So when I was in seminary a long time ago, a, a couple of images come to my mind. 
Uh, first is, is the one of um, my, my professor, uh, Rabbi Blumenthal, um, in an Understanding Contemporary Judaism class. It was an amazing class. I really loved him. He took us on tour of the local synagogue, and we just learned so much about Jewish culture. And um, I'll never forget, though, uh, the day that he talked about the Holocaust in detail. Uh, I don't remember all the things that he described, but I do remember that the more he got into the lecture, uh, the more details that he did describe, as he began to, to talk about um, his own family members, his grief um, mixed with anger and such bitterness, it was palpable in the room. I remember in this uh, somewhat small auditorium noticing other students become uh, a, a bit uneasy and, and restless at what, we, at what we could feel coming from him. Uh, a wounded person, uh, angry, uh, broken. Um, there, was, there was vengeance there. And uh, I, I've been to Auschwitz twice. I've seen these, these glass rooms uh, that are just, just piled, one of them with eyeglasses, one of them just uh, what looks like millions of, of, of watches. Uh, you, you can see behind you know, glass displays the, the, the gold teeth that Dr. Blumenthal or Rabbi Blumenthal described being pulled out of his uncle's mouth. It's horrific seeing the bunkhouses where they were forced to stay and um, spending an entire day just immersed in that story. The second time that we went, I remember it was so bitter cold. It was a, a, January, a January day and the snow was blowing. And um, when we lived in Lithuania, uh, my son Ross was, you know, four and five years old. And I was always his horse when we went on adventures like this. And so, um, you know, Ross... I remember was on my shoulders and I was holding on to his feet and we were on our way um, towards the, the bathhouse area, which was just this pathetic, um, disgraceful, uh, well, and Ross just said, Daddy, I, I don't like this place. Can we leave this place? It's not a place that you want to be. And it's one thing to be walking through a Holocaust museum it's quite another thing to be the subject of that museum. So, uh, Bill Mallard, uh, Dr. Mallard, uh, in, in one of his lectures, um, I don't know, I, I just remember it as, as maybe just kind of a, uh, a to-the-side comment, but I remember him saying that he had a friend, and his friend was the chaplain for the KKK. <laughs> that he felt called to be the chaplain of the KKK. And I usually sat in the back of the auditorium and, and I just remember sitting back there like, what? 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 You know, today is, not today, but yeah, today in this month, the month of February is Black History Month. And as I learn more about black history, I'm simultaneously learning about white history and the more that I learn about the KKK, the more my blood begins to boil.
at the way one human being can, can treat another human being. And I think, you know, um, God calling Jonah to go to Nineveh feels kind of like God saying to me, I, w- I want you to join the Proud Boys and I want you to be their chaplain. You know, my knee-jerk reaction is to get as far away from that as I possibly can. So, another reason that scholars think that this book might be more parabolic than uh, historical is um, that it's, it's an unresolved story. It ends with a question, two questions actually. Uh, the book of Jonah ends with two questions for Jonah. And, and God asks Jonah, is it right for you to be so angry? And his second question, should I not be concerned about Nineveh and the 120,000 people and the animals? You know, I think that the author of this book, whoever he or she was, intended those questions uh, for me, intended those questions for us. I know that there are monsters, and you know that too. A quick glance at history, a quick glance at our present day. I also know that, that sometimes the monster is me. And so the question is for me, like what's the condition of my heart, especially as it relates to my enemies? And what about God? What about the good news? If God shows that kind of mercy for Nineveh and for Jonah, then I know without any question that there's room in God's heart for me. Amen.